to the Confidence Conversation podcast with me, Joy Burnford. This show explores the world of women, work, and what it takes to feel more confident. Each episode offers inspiration, stories, and light-hearted conversations with amazing women and experts from around the world. A lack of confidence is not a crime, so if you need some motivation, inspiration, or a boost of confidence, grab a cuppa, go for a dog walk, or escape for a drive, and join us for today's conversation about confidence. And I'd like to say a big thank you to Karen Skidmore, Business Life and Leadership, for sponsoring our second season. Karen and her team are on a mission to put a stop to midlife burnout by helping women to create a new rhythm and flow to their professional lives. I'm so excited that they're offering you a free, easy-to-follow energy tracker to help you see how your monthly cycle contributes to your productivity levels. It certainly opened my eyes, and I'm now much more aware of how I can plan and manage my months in a happier and more productive way. Download the tracker today at karenskidmore.com forward slash the confidence conversation. Our focus for this season is fitting life and work together, and I'll be talking to some incredible women about their careers, work, family, and how they juggle everything life throws at us. It's an absolute honour to welcome Professor Rosie Campbell as my guest today. Rosie is a Professor of Politics and the Director of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London. I was very fortunate to get to know Rosie during the first lockdown when we researched the impact of the pandemic on gender balance in business. We had lots of Zoom calls whilst homeschooling children, so she knows a lot about juggling what life throws at us, which is what we'll be talking about today. Hello, Rosie, and welcome to the Confidence Conversation. Hi, Joy. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about how to manage a career with family and fitting this all together without going completely crazy. So I'd love to start with asking a little bit about your role at work and your family at home. And how do you manage to fit life, family, childcare and work all together? Well, I can't promise I haven't gone completely crazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My children are now 12 and 10. So I'm past, well, I think I'm past the most intense period, although I have a lot of friends who tell me that actually, in some ways, they need your attention more Mm. at this uh, older stage. But I think, like for many people, the most intense stage of combining work and and, and family was when they were very little. And obviously, I'm past that now. Yes. So my previous job to this one, so I work, I'm the director of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London. And I'm also a professor of politics. And my previous job to this one, I was in an academic department, just doing my professoring, not not directing anything. Mm. And um, I worked at Birkbeck, part of the University of London, it's all evening teaching. And in some ways, that was good in that Birkbeck were very flexible about start times. Mm. In other ways, it meant that I was quite often out at night. So it would mean that I, when you've got young children, you get up ridiculously early and then you get home late. You know, it, was, it was exhausting. Yeah. But on the other hand, it, it was a little bit um, flexible. Mm. But also formal childcare, you know, it's very difficult for people who work non-conventional hours, obviously, if you are not in the position to afford a nanny or anything mm. like that. So I was incredibly lucky when my kids were little. My mum did an awful lot for That's us. That's brilliant. And she, until my kids were school age, my mum helped us an awful lot. Mm. And then since school age, it's all been a lot more manageable. My husband and I split everything 50-50 mm. before school, after school clubs. 
But I suppose one of the lessons for me in the last year has been what a shock it is not having all the logistics to think about all the time with one of us being traveling or not traveling and, mm. and you swap the pickup and suddenly we're both here all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and you're still it, both there. Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, we're still both here. <laughs> um, and so it's made me realize just how hard that juggling act was mm. and, and sort of given my eldest is now at secondary school and my youngest only has a year to go. It's made me tempted not to travel for work for another year so that we don't have to deal with all of that juggling quite mm. so much. It is really hard, isn't it? It is yeah. hard. So you've talked a bit about your mother. Have you had uh, any others in your support network that you've ha- you able to rely on? Have you used any different forms of support? I mean, my mum really was crucial in the early in the early days because I did want to see the kids sometimes. And because I was teaching in the evening, um, nurseries and so on, it was it wouldn't really have worked. So my mum used to arrive at about ten o'clock, by which time I'd often had five hours with the kids and was very happy to mm. have them. Mm. Yes, I <laughs> and so um and then if I wasn't teaching that evening, she would leave at about five or six and I would do bath and bedtime mm. and then I would perhaps do some more work in the evening. Yeah. So yeah. at that time I did a lot more of the childcare than my husband. And it was only mm. when the kids went to school and my mum stopped doing that that we that he had the impact on his life and we started yes. to share everything 50 yes, 50 and uh, yes. that was an interesting moment yeah and I do you know I take my hat off to to women who do full-time m- being a mum because I just couldn't do it I, I've never been able to do it <laughs> and actually you know you talk about the bath and bed it's really nice when that's a sort of unique thing that you do it maybe a few nights a week but I just I don't know about you but I just found that very very stressful the whole kind of being a mummy full-time when I sort of had time off on maternity leave and things I couldn't wait to get back to work <laughs> I was I, I do remember the first day of getting on the train to go back to work and suddenly realizing I was in, drinking tea out of a, a cup and nobody was asking me for anything you know yes. and, uh, <laughs> how liberating exactly. that was yeah. I, I also really like the combination of I'm very family oriented and I and I adore the children but I really like the combination of yes. having the mental stimulation yes. of work as well as the family yeah and I know a number of people have faced sort of confidence challenges obviously this podcast is all about confidence and I just wondered have you ever have you ever personally faced any confidence challenges you know struggling to fit things together you know either, either at work or at home I mean, I tend to think that anyone who doesn't suffer a little bit from a lack of confidence is a monster. <laughs> obviously, um, when it becomes debilitating, that is, mm. that's the problem, isn't it? Mm. If, if we, having a little bit of uh, self-doubt makes you a reflective person, but if that becomes crippling and limits your opportunities, then that's when you have to do something about it. I mean, I think I definitely have, ha- have moments where I think I'm not being a very good mother or I'm not mm. being as good at my job as I could be. And I think that, but isn't I kind of think it's a kind of form of conscientiousness, and I'm not sure I buy into the idea that that we should be as overconfident as a lot of men. No. I, I I think we have to. I mean, I suppose when you talk about support networks, I didn't, I haven't necessarily had many other support networks in terms of childcare, but actually hearing positive reinforcement from friends and colleagues is so important, isn't it, yeah. in terms of confidence? And I think I've been very lucky that I've had bosses who have been incredibly supportive and encouraging and I know that I know from friends and colleagues that isn't a universal experience that's made a big difference to absolutely me. I think that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast because I want people to realize that they're not on their own for example you know so many people I've spoken to say that they feel like they're you know sometimes they're a rubbish mother they're sometimes they feel they can't they can't be 
good at both things and that stress can be can be really challenging and I think you're right if you've got a, a sort of support network friends family who can understand that and just say you're, you're not alone here we're all kind of feeling this juggle that's really really helpful so before the pandemic as you know one of the biggest obstacles cited by women was a lack of flexible and remote working and then for many of us this suddenly became a reality overnight. But it wasn't necessarily the sort of work-life balance holy grail that we'd been hoping for. Um, as you know, we did the research with you last year over lockdown, which found that women struggled to work from home as they continued to shoulder this burden of unpaid care. And could you talk, talk to me a little bit about that? What are your views on that? And you know, what can we learn from this in the future? I know we, we shared stories about t- doing homeschooling and things <laughs> over that period of time. And <laughs> Oh, God, wasn't an absolute nightmare. Uh, yeah. but, um, I think... There's an idea that flexibility is a panacea for women and for women with caring responsibilities, men with caring responsibilities. But actually, to an extent, what parents need is predictability. Mm. If you need to be able to pick your children up at six, because that's when the childcare provider closes, you need to be there. And so flexibility, if it's actually what it really means is we want you to be always available and always on, isn't isn't going to work. Yeah. But just being at home, if you can't actually do that bedtime or do that pickup is not helpful. So I think what I really strongly believe is that we that we do want flexibility, but we also want we want to be able to say to our employers, right, there's this urgent deadline. I will shift my childcare. I'll make other arrangements. But actually, that isn't a day to day expectation. And the problem comes when work is organised in such a way that you have no predictability and you need to be able to always put work first. And unfortunately, there are too many work cultures, but that is how you signal your motivation. It's not necessarily about what you produce or the quality of your work, but your your willingness and availability to drop everything all the time. Yeah. And I think that's the definition in some ways of a toxic work culture, that everything has to be put um, to one side and that that's a a norm rather than rather than out of the normal yeah absolutely and I remember you saying that when we were chatting last year about you know when people are going back to sort of hybrid working and saying oh well you know this week we can perhaps go in two days a week or the next week we could go in three days a week or you know just flexing and actually just being aware of each individual's you know sort of personalization and understanding each individual's circumstances is a big first step I think isn't it for for organizations Um, brilliant And, and one of the main challenges with remote working is obviously blurred boundaries between home and and work life have you come across this or you know any advice or tips that you can share with our listeners about managing this I think there's a lot that we can do as colleagues and uh, and to try and change cultures within workplaces one of the things that really struck me when I first joined King's was that I didn't seem to be getting any emails at the weekend and then I spoke to one of my line managers a dean and he said oh we had a we had a um we had a policy a few years ago where we asked except for if there is an urgent situation, for colleagues to avoid sending emails outside of Mm. formal working hours. And the cultural difference is massive. I had a a former boss at my previous employer who it seemed to me, I didn't know how, suddenly on a Monday morning all all these emails appeared. And she did write them on a Sunday, but she set them on a timer because she didn't want to set expectations that colleagues would be doing, would be working Mm. on a Sunday. Mm. And I just thought how thoughtful and what a good practice that was and I think we should all be mindful of that that very often when you're a working parent it can be really useful to be sending those emails at 11 at night because you know that you're going to the school show the next day or whatever it is Mm. you don't necessarily realize the impact you're having on other people Mm. so actually thinking you know setting it out to go the next day is a really thoughtful practice and I think 
what you need is you need leaders in organizations to be doing that to actually send the signal not only will we not think you're working harder we'll be thinking why can't you get your work done in office hours why are you not thinking about the impact on your Mm -hmm. colleagues we should see those as bad working practices if we are constantly constantly emailing people at strange times of day yes and I do it myself I mean I think I was emailing somebody at 6 30 on Sunday morning actually because it was just when I happened to be awake and (laughs) I had some time to respond to an email and and I think you know I think I should perhaps be better at doing that and also I've seen somebody who's put at the bottom of their emails I may be sending this email out of office hours but it doesn't mean I need a response that's a lovely thing which I think is a really nice idea And, and sometimes I will you know there will be something I need to get done but I'll just write for Monday you know in the in the subject line yes um so you said that you know if someone's scrolling through their phone they know that I don't need to deal with this now yes and I've heard as well that some organizations and this is quite extreme but during the pandemic and sort of remote working some companies actually switched off emails and stuff <laughs> they kind of said right we're switching all the systems off so you have to have a break and I think that's that is quite um extreme and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that but it's interesting how some companies are sort of trying to do things in a slightly yeah, even different if you way. just did that once or twice it might work very well to signal actually mm. this isn't how you get on in this organization mm. as I said there are always occasions where something comes up and you've got to be responsive out of yeah. hours it's yeah. just when that becomes normalised in the expectation. So maybe that was a useful reset. You know, it yes. might want to do it all the time. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I just want to take a moment to tell you a little bit more about the free energy tracker that our sponsor is offering you today. If, like me, you sometimes find it hard to keep up with life and work, it doesn't mean you have to keep your head down and work even harder. Karen Skidmore and her team are on a mission to empower businesswomen to create a new rhythm and flow to their professional lives in order to fulfil their potential and increase their level of impact. To help redefine your work patterns, the free energy tracker will help you experience the cycles that affect your flow and how your hormones and the seasons will contribute to your productivity levels throughout the year. You can access this free energy tracker today over at karenskidmore.com forward slash the confidence conversation. So... One of the things I was I was going to ask you is about, you know, how do you think flexible and remote working will impact women professionally and personally? But I think we've touched a little bit about that. But if you could give our listeners perhaps one one tip for juggling everything life throws at us, you know, what would that be? I think you we have we often strive for the perfect when maybe we need to strive for the good, mm. and I think that's true of our parenting and of our work. And, you know, there are sometimes there are some things that's a really important priority for you and that you're always going to, for me, my it's my kid's piano practice. I don't know why, but that's the one thing I will not let go of. But, you know, other things that I'm not always the best parent about making sure they've got everything, all the art supplies they need for whatever that project is. And they know that they look at me and they sigh and I'm going to have to, they're going to, have to find it themselves. You know, <laughs> I, I just don't care that much. Yeah. And I think you have to have the things, your priorities, just as you wouldn't work and the things that you're going to give less attention because you can't be a hundred percent on everything. Um, And and I think that that's probably my advice. Cut yourself some slack, work out what your priorities are, really focus on them. And then, and also of course, whatever you drop, one of the dangers is if you don't drop anything, there's no, no one else will pick them up. So I I don't really, I don't care about sport. I am just not interested. My husband does all of that. 
Mm. you know because there's a space to fill and Mm. I think sometimes that's useful Mm. and that's interesting one of the things that my husband and I've been trying to do is um work out a kind of a a fair way of splitting things because I I had a bit of a (sighs) meltdown the other day I was saying I can't cope with all of this stuff in my head this whole mental load thing of how do you how do you manage everything and um, I just sort of explained it and I said look I need I need to sort of split this a bit differently because I'm still thinking of everything and I'm you know you know all the stats about mental load but how do you sort of manage that do you do kind of each compartmentalize and have your specific areas that you you um focus on or I'm conscious that this is recorded because I wouldn't say this has always been a smooth negotiation yeah but we are now (laughs) we're now in a position where I'd say it's 50 50 I have to say that I think you know I I certainly think there is a social expectation on women to be brilliant mothers and the expectation of what that is is more hands-on than it is for father you know if the father historically took time off to go and go to the school play well well done you if you're if the mum's not there, why aren't you there? Mm. And it would always strike me that whatever there was at school that needed doing, the school calls me. Mm. They would call him. Sometimes I just don't answer the phone if I see the school <laughs> number, and I know that he'll be the next number. And if they call me again, I will answer it. Mm. So I, th- I think sometimes you have to back away and make space for that space to be filled. And I think there are a number of areas of our family life. I've mentioned sport, art. I'm really interested in the academics. I, um, you know, my my eldest daughter loves reading. I'm really engaged with that and thinking about what books. And then I just step away from other things. And thankfully, they have been filled. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, that's a challenge, isn't it? If you're, you're you're sort of leaving it and then nobody picks it up. Yeah. Um, my husband pick, um, focuses on, on the football, so my daughter plays football, and he manages everything to do with the football, which is great because it's his interest, and he manages it from kind of the beginning to the end. And there's not sort of I don't get involved, and I know he's taking that. And I sort of think about it more in a work context. You know, if you're delegating something, give somebody that whole area of responsibility to sort of manage it from the beginning to the end, not try and. I think that's where things can sometimes go a bit pear shaped in family life when you sort of. The wife thinks the husband's thought about it and the husband thinks the wife's thought about it and then it turns out nobody's thought about it. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Rosie. Is there anything else that you wanted to add on this whole kind of work-life juggle that we haven't spoken about today that you think would be helpful to our listeners? Well, I, I think we've been talking about this negotiation that goes on with, within families. And I think it can be quite fraught sometimes, especially when, you, when, you're, when you're at the stage of life when you've got a, you're a young family and you're mm. just starting to make those decisions. And I think it's then that you often find the sort of social norms have infiltrated your family in a way that you might not have realised. And I would say, don't give up then. That's a crucial moment. Make sure you you have that battle and you get things organised fairly, because if you don't, it's going to be much harder to change things later on. Yes. And even before that, I heard somebody the other day saying, thinking about who you're going to marry, you know, actually, <laughs> before you even get to the engagement marriage stage, you know, is this person going to be there and support you? in the way you want to run your life. That's a good point. And and actually, we know from lots of research that women who um, are successful in their employment, heterosexual women who are in long-term relationships, that partner's support is absolutely critical. So I would would, would say wholeheartedly, make sure you get yourself involved with the feminist man. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. When I had my my first child, um, my husband actually took a whole year off and was sort of um, house husband and and dad. He, He, you know, I remember him bringing my daughter to London so I could you know in between meetings I could then <laughs> see her and stuff but oh, that's, that's quite a dream end but I think that that could be done more of I think you know oh, and so men much more and I sort of feel a little bit sad that I'm of a generation that 
the, the opportunities for men, although you, you managed it, um, the opportunities for men to take parental leave were not the same as they are now. And I know there's still more to there's much more work to be done, but it's we know it's better for kids and it's better for the families if 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 um, dads are more involved from the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rosie. It's been lovely having you on the podcast today, and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Nice to chat. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening and I'll be back again soon with another Confidence Conversation. If you know anyone who might find this podcast useful, please do pass on the link and it would give me a real confidence boost if you could subscribe, rate and leave a review. If you like what you've heard, join us at the confidenceconversation.club where I'll be sharing tips and notes from each episode and you can send in your ideas for future topics. And remember, you can download a free, easy-to-follow energy tracker to help you see how your monthly cycle contributes to your productivity levels at karenskidmore.com forward slash The Confidence Conversation. Thank you. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.